of being with us today. We uh, certainly understand those who are not with us who have made that decision because of uh, fears of uh, coronavirus, etc. And um, so it's on uh, a lot of people's minds for sure. It's definitely in the news. And um, we just wanted to start our time with a uh, kind of a brief announcement about um, our preparations and our stance, our understanding regarding uh, coronavirus and how Parkside is thinking about it, etc. And so we wanted to uh, reiterate what has been said before, that uh, for our seniors, uh, given the fact that uh, seniors tend to have a greater susceptibility, vulnerability to coronavirus than younger people, uh, we certainly understand if uh, older people want to stay home. That is, uh, that is your prerogative, and we honor that, and we bless you in it. And so if, if uh, that's the decision you or others make, then uh, that, that's your decision. We support you in it. We certainly don't want to uh, push you in that regard. Um, and so um, if you're a person who has symptoms of some sort, if you have a cold even, I know it can be difficult to tell uh, the coronavirus with symptoms and whatnot, it has symptoms that are similar to others. But if you have any kind of symptoms, you're feeling something less than healthy, then uh, we would encourage you uh, as a means of loving your neighbor as yourself that you would stay home. And frankly, if you have family members uh, who have symptoms, uh, particularly kids, uh, feel free to stay home. And we would we'd actually encourage you to do that as a way of, of loving uh, the rest of us and the people we come in contact with. And so we would encourage you that way. And we've talked about foregoing handshaking and hugging. And uh, I see that sweet Sue's not here today, right? She's probably at home weeping because she can't hug everybody. <laughs> because she would, she would like to do that. But uh, contact like that, this is, uh, is, a, is an easy way for us to uh, forego uh, communicating uh, this uh, coronavirus. Likewise, Wash your hands well. <clears throat> I worked in the food service in industry for one year of my life, and in the process of training for that, we had, uh, I don't know, we did a black light test or what it was exactly, but they would have, ha have someone go wash their hands with soap and water and whatever, and they would come back and they would shine this black light, and you would see what was not clean from this person washing their hands. And so then they would teach us how to wash our hands and how you do so thoroughly and how you, uh, you know, take a longer time than you would normally, you know, your six seconds or whatever it is, you know, you need 20, 30 seconds and lots of scrubbing and stuff like that to uh, remove everything from your hands. So wash your hands and wash your hands well. Try to avoid touching your face. Now that I've said that, everyone's nose just started itching. And so you're like, what really wanting to... Uh, so anyway, that's just, just basic stuff because of the, because of the way it's communicated. Um, we likewise will be giving uh, special attention to disinfecting the church, particularly touch points uh, with uh, doors, uh, doorknobs, things like that, and uh, handles, light switches, uh, toys in the nursery, things like that will need to uh, receive extra attention uh, to be disinfected in that way. And so that's something that we will be uh, pursuing and, uh, and like Woody said, I want to encourage you that if you know someone at Homestead or Highland Manor and that they're, they're kind of quarantined in an extra tight way right now. So give them a call if you can and uh, talk to them, let them uh, hear your voice. That would be good for them. Um, also, we have a uh, plan that's kind of in the works because if someone ends up, you know, in their apartment for days on end, and they weren't prepared to be in their apartment for days on end. They might run out of 
you know, um, food. They might run out of other supplies that they need in order to continue living because they weren't prepared in advance for that. They've been in, in uh, quarantine longer than they thought. And so we want to help those people, um, people in our, in our body who uh, may be in need of, you know, the ever-elusive toilet paper. I, I don't understand why that's the thing, but that is the thing. And, uh, but if you have some that you can spare and you don't, you know, if you want to forego selling it on the black market for thousands of dollars... You know, you can you can donate it. So we we, we uh, all joking aside, we really do. We have a responsibility to care for the members of our of the body here, and so we want to uh, be a, a a focal point for those who have need within our body to call and say, "Hey, I have need. I've been in my apartment for this many days, and I'm really running out of food, or 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 whatever the issue is. Uh, I need help." Well, we all exist to help one another in that regard. So. Uh, Parkside wants to be a, a, a nexus in that regard for our people, uh, for those people who need to uh, call with their own need, and likewise for those people who maybe don't have need. Maybe they're well set up and they're prepared and they can help out. Well, we want to be a focal point for that also. And so uh, we want to help those in need receive the things that they need, particularly those uh, who are members of our congregation here. We want to take care of them. And we've already heard from people who want to participate in providing for those needs. And so um, we just wanted you to know that there is a plan in the works that we've thought about and are working towards. And so if you have questions about that, if you want to, uh, if you know of a need within our body, come to Woody or Chris or me, um, come to body, come to uh, really any of the elders and deacons of the church and bring that need. Likewise, if you're someone who wants to help meet a need, come to us with that also. Uh, we want we want to um, meet those needs as best we can as a means of serving one another and taking care of one another. And so uh, that that is something that we are uh, pursuing, uh, seeking to do. And there was one other thing in connection with that that I really wanted to say that I forgot. If someone else knows what I was going to say and didn't didn't say, would you let me know? Inevitably, it'll come up later, but it'll have been too late by that point. S- do what? The website? Oh, so uh, related to that, you sp- no, but good job because that. <laughs> so um, yeah, Rochelle saved the day. That is not the first time this week that Rochelle has saved the day. Um, so. Regarding uh, next week and, and weeks following, we don't know the direction this is going to go, and we don't know what instructions we might receive or recommendations we might receive from health officials and whatnot. So we just want to let you know that uh, we will make decisions accordingly. We will do what is what is best for the congregation and what is obedient to the Lord, uh, realizing that we are not virologists. We are not... Um, you know, these people who have access to the information we don't have access to, we're just going to do the, make the best decisions we can going forward. We're all here today. Praise the Lord. We're going to worship, uh, and, and celebrate the Lord today. We're going to look in, into His Word today. I can't make a promise concerning next week or concerning events of this week. Okay. We will let you know via email. We will let you know via the Facebook page and, uh, website. If you end up being, uh, stuck at home for, one reason or another, next week and subsequent weeks, the sermons are all online. You can go on to our website at parksidebible.com and you can watch the sermons there. You can get our app and you can listen to the sermons there, Sunday school, etc. So there are ways to continue being fed in that regard. So we are responding to the situation as it comes up and I want to do so for the, uh, for the good of the body. All right. Yes, Woody. 
If you know of someone in our congregation that is older, um, you might want to just give them a phone call. Some of them do not have uh, computers or whatever. They're not on social media. Phone calls would be great. We had that in our Sunday school uh, suggested there this morning. So phone calls to folks that are like that aren't here just to check up on them and see if they need something. Thank you. All right, we're going to go to the Lord together and pray right now, and then we're going to get into God's Word. So let's pray together. Father, we um, come to you this morning rejoicing that we have the right to do so because of what Christ has done for us. We get to have access to, to you. We get to be called your children. We have peace with you because of what Christ has done and. And we rejoice in that, and we celebrate that this morning. And Father, we realize that this world is uh, uncertain. We receive a lot of information. Some of it is good, some of it is bad. And we don't even necessarily know how to distinguish between the two, nor how to interpret the good information we do receive. We, we are short-sighted people, often foolish and when we look at world events and we look at uh, the situation going on with coronavirus and how it's affecting our society, how it's affecting people's health, how it's affecting the economy, it's affecting people coming together even on a Sunday morning. Father, we, we come to you because you are above all that. You are all-knowing and wise, eternal, and sovereign. And so we bring our concerns to you and ask that you would address us in regard to those concerns, that you would teach us wisdom and patience, that you would teach us to fix our eyes on you. Father, we, we have concerns, we have fears, we have questions and uncertainty about the future and about the, the reality of much of what we hear. So we come to you and we know we find truth in you. We know we find truth in your word and we find comfort there. So, Father, we do pray that you would help us as a congregation to respond to this situation that's going on. Help us to care for one another in the, the ways that are are most needed. Help us to honor you with our love for one another in all of our lives, with the way we serve, with the way we ask for help. May we honor you. Father, we do pray that you would uh, put down this, uh, this bug, this virus. Pray that you would... Uh, Bring it to the, to the end uh, of its course quickly with minimal loss of life, minimal uh, destruction of life, and minim minimal destruction of, uh, of economy and lifestyle. Father, we ask that you'd work in this situation. We ask that you would use it as an opportunity for the gospel. That even as people suffer and fear in ignorance, in confusion, 
I pray that you would use that to turn their heart to you. That they would look to the unchanging one who is truth and who speaks truth to us in his word. And Father, this morning as we come to your word, we ask that you would be at work in our hearts. We ask that you would be at work by your spirit through your word in our lives. Be honored, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you will open up your uh, bulletin there, you will find a page of notes. That page of notes might be useful to you as a paper airplane to be used after the service, not during. I will call you out if I see a paper airplane flying. But uh, I had determined, obviously, as you see in the paper there, to preach on Romans chapter 7, and I'm not often um, put off of what I have prepared to preach on. And uh, But today I thought it, it would be helpful for us to look at the book of Job, the whole thing. So turn to Job 1. And normally I like to read the whole passage we're going to be speaking on. <laughs> Chris doesn't think that's a good idea, so I guess I'll submit to him in that. We are in Job chapter 1, and we're going to discuss this book in light of what is going on in our world right now. This is where I'm doing my personal reading right now as I'm reading through the Bible and have been struck by several things in Job that I think are applicable directly in our context. As we see people suffering and we see people fear suffering, as we see a world in turmoil and asking big questions, we look at Job and we see that's not the first time those things have happened. There is nothing new under the sun. And Job gives us a lot of insight into how we are to deal with the uncertainties of life, suffering in life, the things that happen in our lives that we just don't understand and just don't get. So if you'll bear with me, we are going to work our way through Job, and uh, it's already five minutes after, so it's probably going to be relatively quick. Job chapter 1, starting at verse 1, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So we're introduced to this man that most of you are familiar with. He's a, a very wealthy man, and he's a very upright man. He's, he's prominent. He's, a, he's, he's not just a good guy. He's not just a great guy. He is the greatest guy. In all the land. He is a noteworthy, godly, wealthy man. Job is an excellent man. And this is, this is the, 
the, the life that he's leading. This is the kind of reputation that he has. This is what Job is like. But then we, we change scenes. In verse 6, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. Sons of God being a reference to angelic beings. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So the scene is in heaven. The scene is like the, the courtroom of God, the, the courts of God. And, and the angelic beings have come before him. They're reporting. They're receiving their instructions. This is the scene. And into that scene comes Satan. And, of course, God asks him what he's been doing. Not because God didn't know, but Satan is reporting. Satan reports, I've been going around to and fro, here and there. And God says to him, these fateful words, have you considered my servant Job? So I want to notice that it was God who brought Job up. It was God who mentioned his name. Who introduces him into this story. And he says of him, there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? I'll paraphrase. God, if you gave me riches and wealth and honor like he has, I'd fear you too. Does, does Job fear God for no reason? That's Satan's objection. Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Satan alleges that Job serves God because God has blessed Job so abundantly. You take away that blessing and he will curse you. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So he, God responds to this objection that Satan has made, that he serves you because you've blessed him so mightily. If you remove that blessing, if you take away his things, the outward evidence of your blessing upon him, he will curse you. And so God says, well, you can do what you want with his things. Just, just don't touch him. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan goes away. That was a scene. That was like an aside. Meanwhile, back at the ranch... Verse 13, now there was a day when his sons and daughters, speaking of Job's sons and daughters, were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. 
The livestock has been attacked, destroyed, stolen, gone. It's not yours anymore. And I alone have escaped to tell you, says this messenger. Verse 16, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. There was a natural disaster. Not only has the enemy struck. There's natural disaster. Fire from heaven has come down and has burned the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone as a messenger have escaped. And while he was still speaking... There came another and said the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And guess what? I alone have escaped to tell you. So the Chaldeans, they brought a raid on the camels, stole the camels, struck down the servants, killed a bunch of people, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you about this. And you got it while he was yet speaking. There came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you what terrible news to bring. All of his possessions. All of his goods and his family. All of his kids. What's, what's Job's response going to be? Then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So here you have Job who has lost everything. All of his goods, his livelihood, livestock, and his children. And his response is, Everything I have has been given to me by God. And now God has taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He is God. Chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. So flash back to the heavenly scene. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord brings him up again. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. But you almost want to check and make sure I'm not reading the wrong verse. Back in chapter 1, but this is the second scene. And God continues, He still holds fast His integrity, although you incited me against Him to destroy Him without reason. He still holds to His integrity. He is the same man 
despite the destruction. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. You've already destroyed his things. You've already taken his family, taken his kids, taken his livelihood. Go ahead. You can strike his body now. But spare his life. See what Job will do. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job, Job with, a, with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. A miserable man who has lost everything, including his health, sitting in the ashes, doctoring his sores. But he hasn't lost everything. Verse 9, then his wife, his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. What awful words to come from his wife. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. You have no idea what you're talking about. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? Shall we receive good things from God and not evil things? That's a, that's a tough saying. That's a tough comment that he's made right there because we like to receive good things from God and we ascribe good things to God. And when an evil thing happens... We don't want to ascribe that to God. We don't want to connect that to God. We want to disconnect that from God as much as we can. Well, that's not how Job puts it. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? Some of your translations say destruction or harm. It's all wrapped up in the same term. Nevertheless, we received it from God. And look at the next sentence. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Even in declaring that the good that we receive ultimately, ultimately comes from God and the evil that we receive ultimately, ultimately comes from God. In all of this, he did not sin with his lips. That is tough. So you have Job in this condition. His wife has abandoned him, basically told him to abandon God. He's on his own. He doesn't have any health. Doesn't have any wealth. Doesn't, his kids are gone. He's sitting in the dirt pile trying to dress his wounds. And he has these three friends who come to visit him. And these three friends, closing out the remainder of chapter 2, they start off doing the wisest thing they do in the entire book of Job. They sit silently. <laughs> Would that they had remained silent. But they, did, they, they didn't remain silent. But they show up, they hear of what's gone on, and they, and they show up to comfort him. 
And they sit there for days and days. Seven days, it says in verse 13, they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was great. Sometimes when you're comforting someone, the best thing you can do is sit there. Silently. So that's the situation. Job knows nothing about what has gone on in heaven. He has no idea. We do. We've, we've read, we've seen what's gone on in heaven. But he has no idea. He's just living life and experiencing the destruction of his life. And so we get into chapter 3. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Wouldn't you? You'd be tempted. You'd be tempted. This kind of destruction, this kind of everything taken away from you, including your health. Curse the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born. And the night that, that said a man is conceived. He cursed the day of his own birth. He, he wishes he weren't alive. He wishes he had never been. And then he continues on. By the way, some of you have looked at the clock and you're thinking, we're going to finish at 3.30 or 4. We're, we, we will pick up and go a little bit faster in just a moment, starting right now, okay? So Job begins a speech. You see in your Bible there, he, he begins a speech in chapter 3 is him speaking. He continues on sort of in the same tone. But what I want to point out to you is after he's cursed the day of his birth, which is bad enough, then he begins asking the impossible question. You know what the impossible question is. Why? Why? That's the impossible question. And four, five, six times in here in chapter 3 alone, he asks that question. Why did this happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do these things come? Why do, why do bad people suffer great things? Why? And that's the, the theme of his questioning. That's the, the theme of his thoughts. That's what he can't get out of his mind is why me? Why me? And of course, from chapter 4 on, and you can just start flipping. We'll pick up again in chapter 38. If, if you have read Job, it's hard to wade through because his friends finally do start speaking, which is too bad. They are, they are uh, foolish friends. They, they have some knowledge, but not all of it. And they have some wisdom, but not enough. And their view, basically is that God judges and operates the world based upon justice. The person who does bad things receives bad things from God. The person who does good things receives good things from God. They're under the understanding that God operates this world based upon justice. Justice. You do the right thing, you get the good thing. You do the wrong thing, you get the bad thing. And so they keep questioning Job. Yeah, Job, we know that you have this reputation for really being an upstanding man, but surely, I mean, you know, come on. I mean, just between the four of us, you can, you can tell us about the sin that you're involved in that must have, you must be involved in. It must be terrible to bring such a great curse upon you. And that's basically their argument all the way through. And then Job's like, I, you know, if you see the sin, point it out. There's no sin. What are you talking about? He's not saying he's sinless before God, like Jesus is sinless before God. But what he's saying is, I'm blameless in my life. 
There's nothing in my life that would incur the wrath of God like this. They would incur these kind of situations. And so they're arguing back and forth, arguing back and forth. What is God like? Does God operate based on justice? Does he, does he give us good when we do what is right? And does he give us bad when we do what is wrong? You ever think that way? Most people do. Most people do. We think about God's justice. And we know that when I do good things to my family or to my friends, they tend to respond with good things to me. When I do something wrong to my family, to my friends, they tend to respond with something bad for me. We understand this kind of life. We understand merit. But the question of Job is, does God operate this world based upon merit, based upon justice? Now, I want to pause for a second in our story here. And I I want to put that question to you. Does God operate this world based upon justice? Even our story right here, is he operating based on justice? You and I know something that Job didn't know. We've peeked into the courtroom. We've peeked into heaven to see what was going on upstairs. Job had no idea. He was just living life in the downstairs. But events had happened in heaven that had very great impact upon what was going on on earth. And he had no clue. He had no clue about that. So you and I already know the answer. There's something different going on than God operating the world based upon justice. There's something different going on. We're about to get to God's answer. But I want us to think about our own conception of justice. So often we want justice. When you've been wronged, you want that person to pay. When you've done right, you want to receive the benefit. We like justice, don't we? When it benefits us. What does the Bible teach us about us? Is any of us like Job, blameless in all his ways? He, he's, he's like a, a type of Christ almost. I mean, he points forward to the one who's actually completely blameless and completely sinless. Well, Job was, Job was blameless. There was, there was nothing bad about the guy. He had sin, but it wasn't egregious. It wasn't ongoing. He was a righteous, upstanding man before God. Are you and I like that? I can identify in myself weaknesses, sins that, that already take me out of comparison with Job. And you could probably identify the same in yourself. And if you were to demand justice from God, do you know what you would get? Punishment. You would receive ultimate judgment. Whatever you receive in this life, in the end, God will have ultimate justice in the end. And the sins that we've committed, the things that we've done that have broken God's law, that have got it, gone against His character and nature, those things will show up and they will testify against us. And so if we're demanding justice from God, the Bible says that none of us is without sin. Solomon says that in the Old Testament. Paul says that in the New Testament. We all have sin and guilt before God. And the wages of sin is death. We deserve eternal death. And so if God operated this world based on justice, you and I should already be judged. 
But before we get to God's answer here in the book of Job, I want us to think about the answer that he gives in the whole Bible. This is why we praise God for Jesus, who is the righteous one, who was actually utterly, completely sinless. Not just appearing so, not just in the estimation of man, or not just a pretty good guy, or even a really good guy, but perfect, sinless. Who then offered himself to stand in our place to take the penalty that you and I have deserved, that we have earned, that we have merited. And he takes that penalty on himself, pays that penalty to the full, and gives life to us in its place by faith in him. And so when you and I are thinking about this situation, or when we are thinking about a life situation, we're thinking about justice, we need to think in those terms. True justice was poured out on Jesus. Only it was justice for the sin that I've committed, for the sin that you've committed, put on him. So what is God's answer? What's the answer that God gives here finally in chapter 38 and following? By the way, if you read out loud, and, and sometimes it's really good to do that, this is a passage that you should read at the top of your voice, Okay. The first time I read this, I was amazed that it's just, it's just powerful uh, what's going on here in this passage. The reason we're preaching from Job today and not Romans chapter 7 is because we are in a world of uncertainty. Have you and I seen into heaven in regard to the coronavirus? Do we know what God's plan is? Do we know what God is accomplishing? We, we don't even know necessarily what all information we've received on earth to believe, to act on. We're a little bit in the dark, or a lot in the dark. And so, what do we do, Christians? How do we live in light of a situation like coronavirus, in light of the economic uh, strain that's happening as a result of it, the, the strangeness going on in our culture, where there's no toilet paper in the stores? What... How do we live in this world? How do we live in light of that? That's the question. So Job's friends thought God operates a world of justice based upon merit. Finally, the Lord shows up. Verse, chapter 38, verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. So God shows up and he is not pleased with the way the conversation has been going. It's a pooling of ignorance for all these chapters. And he says in verse 4, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what, on what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Counselors, you think you have wisdom to give to Job? You think you can speak 
definitively on this subject? Okay, let's talk about wisdom. Let's talk about what you understand and what you don't understand. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the, out from the womb. When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed the limits for it. Who sets the boundary for the sea? Verse 12, have you commanded the morning? Do you tell the sun when to come up? Cause the dawn to know its place? Have you done that? And he continues on and continues on and continues on and continues on to say, all right, you wise counselors who understand all things and know that God operates the world based upon merit. That's your conclusion that you've drawn. Let me just ask you some basic questions about existence. And they can't answer those. They weren't there. They don't know. And he piles them on and he piles them on and it's tempting just to go through and read verse after verse after verse. If you want, if you want powerful reading, just read from 38.1 on through the end of Job this afternoon and you will find yourself shouting because God is in control. And the point is this. God does not operate this world based upon merit unlike his friends thought. He operates this world based upon his wisdom. His wisdom. He knows what is right. He knows what is good. He's the one who operates this world. He's in charge. He's in control. And we don't even understand the most basic of elements. And we want to say what God must and must not do or should and should not do. And so Job's three friends are pretty well shut up. And Job himself even. Go to chapter 40. And the Lord said to Job. So having, having spoken very clearly against his counselors, now chapter 40 verse 1, the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. And Job said to the Lord, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand upon my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answers Job out of the whirlwind and says, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. And he begins to dig into Job. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Job had gotten turned around so much in declaring his own innocence that he had moved into declaring the guilt of God in defending his own innocence. Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like, like this? He's putting Job in his place. He's teaching Job what God is like. Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Because God is, 
clothed like that. He's arrayed like that. He's adorned like that. That is who God is. These mysteries of our existence, these mysteries of of when this animal gives birth and who provides the food for that animal and where does the, the snow come from and where is the snow stored and while it's waiting to come from and or to come to us and all of that stuff. These these mysteries that Job had no understanding of. Those mysteries are God's domain. Now we have science and we've learned where snow comes from and we've discussed these different things, but the more we learn, the more questions we have. And God is the one who knows those questions. The answers to those questions. He's the one who put that information there. He's the one who upholds this world that we barely understand. These mysteries are God's domain alone. And he says to Job, so is your situation, Job. God's domain. It is God's domain. It's a mystery to Job. But it's the domain of God. And that's the point I want to make for us today. That we may not understand, and I certainly don't understand, what's going on and what direction it's heading and and all that kind of stuff. But that is God's domain. That doesn't mean we don't develop uh, what it takes to, to deal with this disease. It doesn't mean we don't take steps to control the spread of it and all that kind of stuff. Of course we do. Of course we do. But the why question, which so pestered Job, why? Why me? Why is it like this? Was answered by a peek into heaven that Job never got. But you and I get. You and I get in this instance. But we don't get a peek into heaven today. We have the message of Job. God is trustworthy this is his domain and so we trust him Job couldn't understand his problem he never could understand his problem he's left in the end with God saying hey I am God and you are not I am in control of this situation believe me Job asks the why question, and that's the answer he gets. And that's the answer we get. We have more information. We have more revelation. We have science. We have all that. We have more than Job had. But the answer is ultimately, finally, in the end, the same. That is God's domain. And we are to trust Him. I observe, looking at this, that Job couldn't see past his situation. He couldn't see past his problems. This was the end of the world. He was sitting in a pile of ashes, scraping his arms. He, he couldn't see past this. He wasn't seeing into the future. He wasn't thinking, oh, someday I'll have perspective. He was just miserable right now. Miserable right now. So much so that he would curse the day he was conceived and curse the day that he was born. He couldn't see past it, but God took him through it walked with him through it and blessed him in the end. 
Go to chapter 42. We are almost done. 42, verse 7. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite. No, let's skip down. I'm in the wrong one. Uh, verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys, double the number of everything. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapuch. And in all the land there, was no, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. God did indeed walk him through this so that actually, yes, later in life, he would look back with perspective. Having been blessed by God after this terrible time and see God was at work. I lost everything. And God carried me through it. And he trusted God more at the end of it than he did at the beginning of it. He understood God more at the end of it than he did at the beginning of it. And finally, God doesn't govern this life based upon justice, but based upon his wisdom. And so we find comfort in that. If you think the world is based upon justice, if you think God rewards us in this world based upon how, how well we do or how much good we do, when things go poorly, where will you look? You'll take your eyes off of God and you will begin to examine yourself. There is a time to examine ourselves. And there's a motivation to examine ourselves, But thinking that we just have not done enough to please God and therefore we're going through this terrible situation is looking the wrong direction. We need to look to him and understand that he governs based upon his wisdom. And it may be that I need to repent of something. It may be that I've done something that has brought these situations on me. But it may very well be that like Job, I'm just walking through a terrible time that I do not understand and will never understand and is not connected with my performance or obedience in this life. And so we can find comfort as we turn our eyes to God, as we trust Him in the midst of a time of coronavirus and a time of uncertainty. We turn our eyes to Him and we trust in Him, knowing that He is good, knowing that He is working all things and doing them well, knowing that he is not befuddled by a virus. He is not befuddled by lines outside of Winko or empty shelves in the store. He's not befuddled or stumped by a shortage of food in our pantry as we're quarantined in our house or whatever. He is good and he is sovereign and he is over those situations. And our task is to look to him and to trust him to give him glory so that we can say like Job, the Lord, the Lord gave and the Lord can take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
And so we look to him and we trust him and we're not downcast. We, we, we have confidence. We have peace. Peace with God and peace in this life because we know who God is. Because he is reigning and he is our God. And we can find peace even in a difficult time. Let's pray. Father, there is so much to learn from Job's life, from the mistaken claims that his friends made, from his own confused and mistaken responses, from the words that you say to him. But Father, today I pray that you would send us out with very great confidence in you. We trust you. We find peace in this situation regardless of whether things go very badly or turn better. We trust you. We look to you. We know that you do indeed operate this world based upon your wisdom, based upon your plan and what you are accomplishing. And since we know you, we rejoice in that and we find peace. So I pray that you would bless each one here, that their eyes would be fixed on you that way. I pray that you would help us as we serve one another, that we would serve one another even in practical physical needs. And while doing so, we would direct the eyes of one another to you to remember you and find comfort and peace and hope and life in you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There will be someone up here to pray with you if you want to come forward.